So um, a warm welcome to you, especially if you're our guest here this morning, you're our VIP, and uh, we hope that people make you feel welcome as we gather here together. We began a new journey or a new story uh, just last week called Encounters with Jesus, and we have a phrase or a saying in this church that basically says this, that whenever the presence of Jesus shows up, everything changes. And we can testify that those of us who've been around the block a bit, we've followed Jesus or we've made him the Lord and Savior of our lives for some time. And we've, we, we can testify, can't we, that whenever his presence shows up and we encounter him, it has the potential to change everything. The circumstances that surround us or whatever we're going through in life. And, um, you know, this morning as the guys have led us fabulously in worship, what they've done is they haven't just come and rocked up and prepared a few songs. They've actually sought the face of Jesus and said, okay, what, what songs should we select to actually help encounter you? And that's what we've done. That's what we've done this morning as we've sung songs, as we've encountered his presence. And as we gather around the throne, as we invite and usher the presence of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit, we have the potential to change our lives. And so what, what's going to happen this morning and, uh, and over the next few weeks is we're looking at real-life encounters that people had with Jesus. We're going to look at the, the context. We're going to look at the narrative of actually what happened, what was spoken of at that time. And then we're going to look at what was the impact that, that Jesus actually had on that person's life. And, of course, we're going to look at ourselves and go, well, how, how does that affect us? What, how does that apply to us and our lives uh, here today? And so last week we kicked it off with Nathaniel, who uh, together with Philip became one of Jesus' first disciples. And he was a rabbinic, uh, you have to kind of say that word quickly, student. And, uh, and he, he entered into right relationship or relationship with Jesus. And this morning we want to look at two well-known characters. We're going to look at them two. First of all, it's the insider and the outsider. We're going to look at uh, Nicodemus, who was a, a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was like the high council of uh, Jewishness uh, in around Jerusalem at the time, and uh, he was very much the insider. He was a religious man and who'd followed the laws, he'd followed the commandments all his life. And then in John chapter 4, we're going to look at the outsider. We're going to look again, and I know, forgive us, for those of you who've been around, we have looked at this story several times before, in fact, just only in the summer, the Samaritan woman, uh, the woman at the well she's sometimes known as. And she, in many ways, would be classed as an outsider. And so we're going to look at both. And the reason we're looking at both together is that it can be found in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. And it's very likely that John, the writer... Jesus' disciple, one of Jesus' disciples, actually put the two of them together. And actually, rather than teaching one or the other, in many ways they should be taught together. Because Jesus is, or John, who puts both stories together, is trying to make a point that whilst their lives of the inside and the outsider couldn't be more different, as far as the east is from the west, as the, the, the north to the south, night and day, their, their lives are completely different. The message is the same. And their need is exactly the same. And we're going to look at that uh, this morning. And what I love about that, actually, is, is the diversity of within the body of Christ. Like, look around you. I've done this before, but look around you. Just 30 seconds. It's slightly embarrassing. If you don't want to, don't. 
But if you, you know, you look around, you're like, my goodness, we're all ages, we're all shapes and sizes, we're, we've, we've come from different backgrounds. Many of you are from here. There's certainly lots of aliens like myself that have landed. And, and, and what I love is that we are part of the body of Christ. There's such a diverse thing. And the person, the, the one thing that holds central is the person of Jesus. And so, um, the insider is the religious, respected Jewish man, and the outsider is the Samaritan woman who's had multiple husbands. We are going to take her first, and uh, we're in John chapter 4, and uh, we're starting at verse 7. Again, many of you know this story well, and uh, some of you have probably never heard this story ever. So, here we go. A Samaritan woman, she came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So before we actually look at the encounter, again, some important things to note about the context of the conversation. He was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. They were bitter enemies. He was a Jewish man. He was, she was a Jewish, a Samaritan woman. Uh, according to culture in those days, a man, a Jewish man would not be seen with a woman in public that he did not know. She had come at noon, which is the hottest part of the day, to draw water, which was unusual. Most people would have drawn water earlier in the morning when it was cooler. Many Bible scholars teach and think that it is because she was the outsider because of her background with men. It is why that she came later in the day, at the heat of the day, when no one else would have been around. And so there she was. Jesus chooses to go because he's thirsty, because he's going to have this encounter with this lady. And he crosses four barriers. The racial barrier, the cultural barrier, the gender barrier, and the moral barrier. She is amazed that he's even having this conversation. And we should be amazed by that too. The other thing that's interesting to note right now is that he doesn't let her off with her stuff. Her stuff is her sin. It's, it's the stuff that's keeping her. 
actually. It's, it's the stuff that's keeping her from entering into life in all its fullness. And G- Jesus doesn't let her off the hook, but he goes after it really skillfully, really graciously, and really, really gently. He asks her for a drink, and she's like, you know, you've nothing to to draw with. And then Jesus begins to reveal to her who he is. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's basically saying, if only you knew who I really was. If only you knew what I have to offer you, you wouldn't be actually, you know, providing me with water, you'd actually be asking me for this living water. And he begins to use a physical metaphor to explain something that's deeply, deeply spiritual. Without water physically, we would die. And without the spiritual water that Jesus speaks about, we are spiritually dead. The conversation develops and Jesus further explains. says, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's saying that by drinking literal water you will become thirsty again. But this living water, you'll never be thirsty again. And what he's talking about is a soul thirst. A thirst of the soul, a deep need within each and every human being, that longing, that wanting to be satisfied and content. And time and time again, in in our lives, but in the lives of many that we encounter within the world, they feel that soul thirst with all kinds of other stuff. The obvious ones of money and sex and uh, power or position to Uh, the use of substances that make us feel good, to uh, food, to taking holidays, to bucket list items or whatever it might be that give us that sense of meaning or that sense of satisfaction or contentment or whatever it might be momentarily. But again, we know that those things only last for a season and that their effect gradually kind of wears off. I was thinking about this during the week as I was preparing. I was thinking, imagine like a sports star, you know, someone who's an athlete or a footballer or you, you, you name it. They have what is actually a very, very short uh, kind of life in terms of their career because physically the body obviously ages and they can no longer perform to whatever it might be. And I often think about how difficult it is for them when they retire, actually what they go and do. Because all of their meaning, all of their lives, all of their training goes towards living and actually working or performing at the very max. And they can can have real fantastic highs by winning gold medals or winning Champions League trophies or World Cups or major victories. But when the final whistle blows and when the adrenaline stops flowing and when the spotlight that they're under fades, they're left with... With what? What are they left with? Memories of what it was like. And that buzz and that contentment and that the highs of achievement and goals and uh, victories won begins to 
diminish. So back to the encounter. She asked Jesus for this water. She says, give me that water. I'll have some of that. God, that would be really good if I, if I took some of that. And he turns the tables and he turns the conversation. And he then goes after the very thing that she was feeding her soul thirst with. And he says this, go call your husband and come back. And uh, he goes straight after the heart of the matter. He has supernatural knowledge and insight. You've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your own. Now, she has all the hallmarks of a sinner, right? Like, she's bad. You know, she's just, oh my goodness, she definitely fits the bill and needs, needs a savior, this one. So here we are, Jesus is doing here. He's simply exposing the truth about a sexual past. He's not trying to humiliate her by making her feel the outcast. He brings this up because this is the heart of the matter. And he's saying to her, you've been trying to feed that thirst with men and it's not working. It's getting you absolutely nowhere. The conversation continues and she says that when the Messiah comes, he will explain all these things. And Jesus finally reveals who he is to her. He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What an encounter. Incredible encounter. Now let's turn to Nicodemus, the insider. The one that we wouldn't consider as so bad but actually is exactly the same, in need of a saviour. We find it in the previous chapter, John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So Nicodemus, this uh, religious man, he's part of the, the Sanhedrin, this group of Pharisees that would be the ruling council. They were like the top dogs of Jewishness at that time. And he chooses to meet Jesus at nighttime for fear of being seen with Jesus because already the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders were... They were already pointing the finger at Jesus and saying, he, he's a fraud, he cannot be who he claims to be. The things that he's doing are wrong. And here's Nicodemus, and he sees that this man truly is from God. And he, So he meets him at night time, and he's actually really pleasant towards Jesus, I think. And, and he basically says, I, I can see that you know, you're from God, and you're what, what, such a great guy, and blah-de-blah. And then, and then Jesus turns around to him. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And you're like, hold on, that's a bit out of order. Like, it was so nice to 
uh, to the woman at the well. He was so gracious. He had a nice kind of conversation. But to to the Jewish leader, he was straight to the point. Straight to the point. He says, you must be born again. Because he knows something about him. Nicodemus addresses Jesus as rabbi. Go, bam, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Jesus takes a different approach and he uses a different metaphor. Instead of water and thirst, he chooses a physical thing of being born again. And rightly so, she's like, he's like, you know, how can that be? Can, you can't possibly be in the womb again and all physically. And Jesus is like, no, 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 it's a metaphor. It's talking about something spiritually. You must start again spiritually. What you have been doing, you think, is earning your right place before me and before my Father. But actually, you require saving also. You require your need to be satisfied. The woman at the well, her satisfaction required came through living water, through the person of Jesus. But he presses to him, Nicodemus, talks about his smug self-satisfaction. You must be born again. Being born physically is a gift. We had no role in it, right? Just think about that for a moment. We had no part in being born. It was a choice. It was something that happened between two people. And we were born. It was a gift, the gift of physical life. And so likewise is the spiritual free gift of rebirth it's a free gift that comes through grace through relationship with Jesus and the the, the phrase born again has been conjured and misused within our western world so often hasn't it and it's been coined in such a derogatory kind of fashion but we could think couldn't we uh, contrasting and comparing the two that the woman she was in need of being born again goodness whereas he do you know the thing was that he was trying to um, have right relationship by keeping the rules. And likewise, you know, he, he did a good job. He followed the laws and he probably never actually committed murder or committed adultery as two of the obvious kind of commandments were. But what he was doing was he was putting other gods before him. You see, sin, a definition of sin is, can be like this. Sin is looking to something else besides God for your salvation. It is putting yourself in the place of God, becoming your own saviour and Lord, as it were. Nicodemus was putting himself before God. He was keeping the rules, and his own moral goodness and effort were giving him the same status, satisfaction, security, and significance. Sex or relationship with men was giving the Samaritan woman that sense of significance and security. For Nicodemus, it was himself, trusting in himself, trusting in keeping the rules and the laws. That was what uh, Nicodemus was guilty of. Both people had encountered Jesus. Remember our saying, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. For both people, everything changed. The Samaritan woman, after the encounter that she had had with Jesus, we read later 
uh, in John chapter 4. She leaves her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Instantly, she begins to tell people, this man is completely changing my life right here, right now. I've loved it. Whenever we see people, you encounter Jesus for yourself. You're the greatest evangelist amongst us. Those of you who encounter his presence, encounter the real life changing experience it is, you are the greatest evangelist. It's like you, you, you go... Uh, it's like let's use the alpha card as a, as a thing. It's like you, you know, Sarah's gone on. Course, Jesus totally changing your life. It's incredible what he has done and is doing in your life. It's like the woman at the well. She's got the cards and she's gone into town and said, "I've got all these alpha cards." You know, don't don't believe Bear here on this one, but come see this man Jesus, who told me everything. Who spoke into my life. Who's completely changed my life, and I love it. That that's what she does. And I love it that as we encounter Jesus in that way, and he changes us, that we go and do likewise. Nicodemus, uh, we don't exactly know kind of where he ends up in terms of um, commitment or relationship with God, but he shows up in two other accounts in John's gospel, and they're pretty good. Um, John chapter 7, Nicodemus speaks up in defense of Jesus amongst his fellow chief priests. Uh, You can read about that yourselves later. But then again, in John chapter 9, after Jesus' death, he pops up again with his friend Joseph of of Arimathea. Uh, With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus, from his own uh, wealth or his own uh, money, he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about 35 kilograms, a sizable amount of worth of um, things that um, a body would be kind of immersed in and uh, wrapped in with the spices in strips and linen. Uh, this was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. Nicodemus looks after the broken, tortured and crucified body of Jesus. Both the characters this morning that we looked at, they're from completely different backgrounds, completely different situations, but their needs are exactly the same. They both needed a savior, and they both literally encountered the savior. And both lives were changed because of their encounter with Jesus. We looked at the woman earlier uh, because Jesus was thirsty, literally. And later again in John's gospel, we, we learn when Jesus was thirsty again. John 19 says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, he's upon the cross and he's uh, suffered. He's been there for some time now. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's thirsty, 
physically and they give him a drink, but he's also thirsty spiritually because this is the first time that he's encountered a time where he's not been in communion with the Father because he takes on our sin and our shame at that time. Upon the cross, he literally takes upon himself our stuff. And in that moment, the the moments that he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was beginning just to experience what it would be like to not be in relationship with the Father because of the sin that separated. It wasn't his sin, it was our sin. And he chose that for us. And so this, this morning, is a, is a message where we look at two people. How does it apply? It applies, obviously, for those that don't yet know Jesus, that that's the truth, and that has the opportunity to transform lives. But it's still as relevant today for those of us who've been Christians for years and years. This morning, as we prayed uh, before uh, before we started this morning, a number of us, we just meet and gather and we pray. I, I just felt like, you know, God was, he was inviting us to surrender more of our lives to him. You see, if you've been a Christian for a while, we, we've had that moment of, oh, wow, great. We're a Christian now and God forgives us of all our sin and that's lovely and that's, that's I'm, you know what I mean, I'm being slightly flippant don't mean to be it's absolutely incredible but actually it then begins the journey of sanctification we're justified on the point of conversion when we say yes and we make that commitment but that's just the very beginning of a transformation on the inside that Jesus wants to do with us and I just think and I just feel this morning like for lots of us graciously and lovingly Jesus is just speaking to us and saying I want you to continue to surrender your life to me that bit and that part and that which just keeps holding you just give me that and for us not to be fearful in any way of that or what that looks like or what that means and And not to have any sense of guilt or shame that's attached to that. But just to trust him. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And he's wanting to do that, I think, with many of us. Um, Let's stand. If the worship guys could get come up, that would be great.